Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright. It's great to be here with you this morning, and it's also great to be here with Pastor Jim. Oh, I love being here. It's and fun. Today, we're, we're recording in the morning, uh, which normally record in the evening, so i I, I want some soft jazz playing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring coffee, but I could have. You could have brought tea. Or Ooh. what's your what's your preferred morning beverage? Uh, water. <laughs> really? Yeah. Do Do you heat it up or anything? Or no. I yeah. I sometimes think that a lot of the benefit of coffee is like in in my mind. And so if I have a warm cup of water, <laughs> I try holding it. Yeah, just just like the I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> that's a little extra. But <laughs> we're here not to talk about morning beverages. We're here to talk about the word of God, which in some ways is uh, something that can warm you up and Refresh get you. you going in the morning and things like that. So what living water. That's right. That's right. Uh, and uh, in this in this podcast, for those of you who have been joining us, listening and watching on YouTube, you know that uh, we like to dig deeper into the conversation that we started this past Sunday in the sermon. And so we're in this series called the What's Your Next Step Excursion, trying to figure out how we can take steps to become more like Jesus. Jesus. And uh, we talked about being connected to God through the word and prayer. That was last week. Right. And then this, uh, this, this past Sunday, we talked about having a heart of worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this is language that we talk about a lot at Church of the Open Door. It's been really fun. As I've been coaching people through next steps, um, I try to ask them, you know, so how familiar are you with the Christ acronym? <laughs> and even people who are relatively new to the church, you know, they'll, they'll kind of stumble their way through it, but they can, they get what's going on. And that's been really fun. Yeah. So when we talk about the heart of worship, obviously we're, we're trying to become more like Christ. So one of the first questions I had as I was reflecting on this is, you know, what, <clears throat> how was Jesus displaying a heart of worship? Mm. So in your, in your sermon, you talked about how Jesus talked about worship, how he encouraged worship, but how did he himself um, demonstrate worship in uh, you know a first century Jewish context? Yeah. Um, this is another, we keep talking about the chosen, but this is another thing that I find fascinating with the chosen is they capture Jesus in these moments of, of like before he goes to bed and does his, his prayers when he wakes up in the morning, they show him praying and doing mm-hmm. the, the the classic Jewish prayers. Um, and so the, for the for the Jews, Jesus was a good Jew. You know, the prayer was a lifestyle for them. Jesus wasn't the one who introduced that. Uh, they built into the whole uh, every day and rhythms of days, weeks, seasons, uh, prayer. And so... Um, so the, the chosen shows Jesus doing that. Uh, you don't see very many clues like that in Scripture in the Gospels. Every once in a while, you see a couple of things. You know, and for instance, we talked about how often Jesus goes to the temple, and we know that he went to the temple for for more than just reasons to worship. Mm-hmm. He went there to teach. Yeah, um, and I'm certain he went there to socialize. It, it, that was a very common, acceptable thing. And um, there's a couple places where it shows Jesus, you know, watching people in the temple. I've one time watching people at the offering, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's in the temple precincts uh, uh, quite a bit. People sometimes may not realize the geography of Israel. I tried to show it on Sunday that Jesus spent a lot of his time in the north, up in the Galilee region. But uh, he did. We keep seeing him in the temple over and over again. So every time he did that, that was a trip, you know, 
I said, yes, we use the word down up to Jerusalem right, you know, right. to go to the temple. And I'd, I'd love to know, did Jesus go three times a year? Because it says every good Jew should go to the, to the, to Jerusalem three times a year. Um, so we don't really know if he ever did that, but we know that he went very often and it's not hard for us to imagine at all, you know, Jesus really adopting this worshipful attitude, this excitement, you know, when he's 12 years old, didn't you know, mom and dad, I had to be in my father's house. Mm -hmm. And that's a very intimate way of talking about the temple, Yeah, my father's house. And so I'm sure Jesus loved the temple. I'm sure, you know, there's the John, John, the gospel writer quoted him as, uh, the zeal for the, right, the my father's house about. will consume him, you know, so mm-hmm. it motivated Jesus to cleanse the temple. So you see, you know, little snippets of Jesus, you know, being in the, in the temple for multiple reasons. Um, one thing that I've always found fascinating, there's no pictures and no evidence in the gospels of Jesus ever bringing a sacrifice. Mm. And you had to bring a sacrifice when you were going to the temple to worship. Um, you were to bring uh, a sacrifice or money to buy a sacrifice in the temple courts in order to give to the priest to sacrifice for either your sins or um, uh, just as a way to to come before God. And uh, obviously, Jesus never needed to sacrifice for his sins, but did he ever bring a sacrifice? We know his parents did in Mm -hmm. Luke 2. Uh, it says that they brought a sacrifice, you know, commensurate with the the, uh, the dedication of Jesus to to God. Right. But um, it, probably Jesus just avoided giving making a sacrifice. Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's fascinating thing to think about. But that was a one of the most common ways to worship was mm-hmm. to bring a sacrifice. I think also the Jews saw prayer more as worship than we do. Mm. Um, I think people think of prayer more as a conversation, which is beautiful. Um, you know, asking God for things, which is beautiful, communing with God, which is beautiful. But the Jews absolutely saw the act of prayer as an act of worship. Hmm. And so, you know, we, we see a lot of Jesus praying in Mark one, Jesus got up early in the morning to pray. Uh, Luke five, Jesus got up early in the morning to pray. Um, there's examples of, of Jesus going into the temple to pray. Um, so <clears throat> so prayer as worship may be one of the things we see Jesus talking about. Um, we never see Jesus um, engaged in any of the processionals uh, that w- would happen with uh, Jewish worship. Uh, we see him going to the temple for some of the festivals, like going up for the Passover or going up for the the tabernacles feast, mm-hmm. um, I think John pays more attention to that than the other gospel writers. But these are, <coughs> excuse me, these are just a couple of pictures of Jesus engaging in worship. Right. Um, <clears throat> we never see him um, shouting or clapping hands or singing, which is interesting. Uh, the the chosen pictures Jesus singing once in a while, mm-hmm. uh, which again, I don't think that's hard to, to, I don't think it's the stretch because Jesus was uh, shaped by the Psalms. It was, he, he quoted from the Psalms more than any other book. Right. And of course, for, in those days, the Psalms, it was the, 
the hymn book. It mm-hmm. was the the prayer book. Yeah, we, it was the worship book. To your point, we tend to think about Psalms almost as more as prayers mm-hmm. when the Jewish people probably saw them more, you know, they, they had a tune in mind when they were reading. Yes. And so yeah. there, that's that, that overlap between prayer and worship. Yeah. If you pay attention to the, 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 the prescript of some of the Psalms, you'll see you know, this is a maskum or this is a tefillah or they don't sometimes say to the tune of, mm-hmm. and then we don't know what that tune is, but right. apparently they did. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and then of course, you know, you read out of the excursion guide that, um, when it comes to having a heart of worship, it's about more than just for, for us, we think about singing, mm. uh, and maybe in the in Jewish context, it's about more than sacrifices. It's about more than prayer. It's mm. about more than the songs that you would sing and the, the physical acts. So, you know, of course we see Jesus respond, you know, his whole life was a response. And that's, yes. that's, I think what we reflect most when we say, I want to be more like Jesus in that mm-hmm. he you know, he said, I only do what I see the father doing. Mm-hmm. Like everything in my life is a response to who God is yeah. uh, and what he's doing right now in and, in and through me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my favorite verse is first Corinthians ten thirty one. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God or to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We see that in Jesus. Absolutely. You know, everything is about bringing God glory. You know, even in John 17, when he's finishing things up, he's like, you know, I came to give you glory. I have glorified you. Now glorify me, you know, so bringing glory to God, bringing fame, bringing attention to God, that's Jesus is all about that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that helps us get more into the, 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 uh, the mode that worship is a whole life response. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, an, it's a mindset. It's a way I live versus, see, I prayed, I gave, I sang, you know, going through these, you know, right. tick-offs that I, yeah. I went to temple, you know. No, for everything, life was uh, worship for Jesus, which is one of the things we want to do. And again, it's, it's why we, when we, um, when I talked about the idea of the heart of worship, mm-hmm. it's more. I I, I I depicted it more as a heart versus an act of worship, um, because if you have a heart of worship, it will yield into acts of worship. Yeah. But if you can have lots of acts of worship that don't reflect what's actually happening in your heart, which of course is what Jesus was saying. And exactly. when he quoted Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also mm-hmm. in, um, in the sermon on the Mount, which I don't know if he does this. I don't think it's reflected in Luke where he's talking about, you know, don't do this for the wrong motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, just Matthew's account. I think. Yeah. Um, but, but in any case, yeah, Jesus absolutely recognizes Well, and, and this is sort of the, the whole sermon on the Mount is what you do is important, but, it's coming out of a place that's maybe even more important and more absolutely uh, more significant. Yes. You know, if you've if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. That that's the idea of heightening the importance of mm-hmm. what's going on in your heart and in your life. Yeah. So you know, that that does raise a question that you're already starting to address. But you know, why focus on the heart in worship? Mm. Uh, and you know, is, is the rest of the body or what what role do the actions play in the course of like, that expression? Yeah, we've. I think we've defined the heart before as that central place in every human being. You know, it's the it's the spring of of everything we think, everything we we say, everything we do. So it's it's the the, the central spiritual place of a person's mm-hmm. life. So you know, Proverbs four twenty three, guard your heart. So um, we talk about the heart because that's that's the that's where everything comes from. And so uh, you know, in in this passage that Jesus quoted from from Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, he puts his finger right on 
know, you're, you're saying the right words. You're honoring me with your lips, but mm-hmm. your hearts are far from me. Yeah. And I don't know whether I quoted um, Samuel's phrase to, um, I think, David's father, Jesse. I think that's who he was speaking to in First mm. Samuel. Uh, you know, Jesus or um, Samuel was was trying to figure out who was going to be the, right. the next king of Israel. And God had sent him to the house of Jesse. And he saw all, one by one, saw all the sons of Jesse and, and the Holy Spirit never said, that's the one. So he's like, well, I know God told me to come here. I know this is where I'm supposed to go. <laughs> and so he asked that real innocent question. Well, is, do you have any other sons? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then, you know, Jesse says, well, I got this little runt out in the field. You know, bring him in. You know, I'm not going to sit down until he comes in. So and in the conversation afterward, he says, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Mm-hmm. So already early in scripture, we see this focus on the heart, this emphasis on the heart and that, that God is looking at our heart. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it makes perfect sense that that's what Jesus wants to focus in on. And, and, and I think also because the, the kind of worship that Israel engaged in was so physical, you know, with the sacrifices, with, right. with the hands mm-hmm. being opened or raised, uh, there was a lot of uh, attention given to the physicality of worship, which would be very easy to think that's all that worship is, is, going through the motions, yeah. make sure you have your hands right. You know, you, when you washed your hands, you had to, you had to have your fingertips down. So you, you, know, you, you washed your hands in a certain way. Everything had a, a way of doing it. Um, wait a minute. No, you washed your hands this way. Yeah. So the water would run like this. Yeah. <laughs> the point is they had, you had to wash your hands in a certain way. Right, right, right. And everything was very ceremonial and very, very proper. Mm-hmm. Remember that the time that, that the, the disciples were walking through the grain fields and eating and uh, the, the Pharisees made comments about they're eating on the Sabbath or they didn't wash their hands before they ate or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, all these, these, the, those were, wor- those were worshipful things. Mm-hmm. Those were not just ceremony. Ceremonial activities were all about worship. Yeah. Is so, how we respond to who God is yeah. and his holiness. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much they were thinking response because mm-hmm. I, I do believe the Pharisees actually believed uh, that, um, well, for instance, they, they believed that if the, when Israel behaved, if, if all of Israel mm. would, would, um, would act right on a particular day, that would bring the Messiah. Yeah. So I really think they really saw worship as something they initiated. And if, if they lived righteous, if they acted righteous, then that would get God to do things. Mm-hmm. And, and they, that's how they saw sacrifices. This yeah. is all to get God's attention. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> that the Pharisees taught that worship was a response. Hmm. Um, that's a good thing to think of, to yeah, study that, more deeply. It is interesting. Yeah. And it's because I think that you can fall off the path on either side of this. You know, there's sure. a ditch on the one side where your heart is minimized and it's all just, you know, you're just thinking, well, because I'm singing, I'm worshiping. But on the other hand, is is there a ditch on the other side? Well, I guess let me put it in the form of a question. Is there a ditch on the other side where as long so. as my heart is in the right place, I don't need to physically respond? <clears throat> right. This goes back to what you said earlier about adultery. Mm-hmm. You know, they were stunned when Jesus said, no, if you just have, you know, have lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. What? You know, I, I thought there was a separation between my body and my and my heart. No, Jesus is connecting those. So, mm. so if you are a person who says, "Well, my heart is right," it doesn't really matter what I do. No, you've misunderstood. Right, right. And, and again, this is a Hebraic way of looking at at humans. Yes. 
there's not a separation of you know between my body and my soul and my spirit and my heart there you're a one there's an, an uh, integrity meaning wholeness of, of oneness and so you can't separate your body from your spirit and your soul which is the argument that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians about your body mm-hmm. you know you if you join your body to a temple prostitute in Corinth you know that's you can't say my heart is pure but I'm engaging in in you know, uh, prostitution, right? No, you whole, all of you is engaged in prostitution. In fact, yeah. you and, are and, and defiling you the temple of the Holy spirit. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And, <clears throat> and I think that's one of the reasons I was, I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why sometimes we struggle today with worship because we live in a time when mm. we want to disintegrate mm. what's going on inside of us with our body. And, you know, we, we see the research coming out on screens and the way that, being you know like i'm a guy who enjoys on occasion yeah i used to do a lot more about playing video games Mm -hmm. when you play video games it's like it's there's it feels like something real is happening like your mind is in this in a sense in this other place and Mm -hmm. you know it's similar when you're reading a book your mind is sort of disintegrated or watching watching a movie Mm -hmm. yeah your your mind is experiencing something but your body is more passive Mm -hmm. um and it's it sort of reinforces this separation between what's going on with me physically and what's going on with me internally, mentally, spiritually. And yet, God God wants us to experience life as a whole person. Absolutely. And to you know, it's it's not that watching a movie is bad, but I mean, think about how much time we spend um, putting our mind somewhere mm. else. Um, and and so I, I I think that for me at least, it's been really healthy to re-engage with some physical ways of worshiping yes. that are maybe a little bit more, they're not ritualistic, mm-hmm. but they are, you know, one, one thing I, I greatly enjoyed and until the candle ran out was I would light a candle when I was doing my devotions, just not because the candle is special, but just because it reminded me of the presence of God. It helped me to feel like I was, yeah. my, you know, I was fully in that moment, in that mm-hmm. moment, in a sense. Um, well, isn't there a verse in the Bible about the word is a lamp unto my feet? <laughs> there is, there of course, is. Of course there is. Um, Psalm 119, what, 105? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm a big, and I'm, this is this is an issue I'm doing a lot of reading on right now, it's, it, it, which we've talked about on the podcast before. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a whole person? How mm-hmm. can I bring all of myself to my walk with Christ and to others? Um, wh- whether that's neuroscience or embody, yeah. you know, what does it mean to have a body? I think that's a really important issue for for us today. Yes, because Christ alone can make you fully human. Mm. Think about that for a second. You know, really, I cannot become a fully human the way God intended a human to be apart from Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he is the model of what a fully, you know, a human who's living to the glory of God, the the flourishing human. That's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so every once in a while, I think to myself, "Am I describing Christ's likeness in such a way that people are thinking I, I lose myself?" Mm. Uh, because you know, there's scriptures about lay down your life. There's scriptures about take up your cross and die to yourself. And you know, I, I talk about becoming like Christ. And it would be easy for someone to conclude, "Okay, well then, then who I am, Jim Minling, he must just kind of disappear." You know, I, I'm I'm not. Uh, I become less and less of me in order so I can become more and more like Christ. That's mm. actually not right. Uh, and again, we could quote John three, J- 
John the Baptist says, I must decrease, so he must yeah. increase. But he's saying, I must dis- de- decrease in fame and popularity mm-hmm. and, and, and public ministry. And Jesus's ministry must increase. I think it's just the opposite. I think the more I become like Christ, the more I fill out the 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 beauty that God designed for Jim Minling to be. I Absolutely. become yeah. more like God designed Jim. I, I I become I flourish more, mm-hmm. and so you know every once in a while I think to myself, I make I want to make sure I'm not describing Christ likeness in such a way that that I become less of who I am. God made me. He made yes. you, listener. He made you in the image of God. He does not want you to to disintegrate. He does not want you to become less of who you are. He wants you to become more yeah. of who you are. And the way to do that is to follow Jesus, to become more like Jesus. Yeah. It's, I think it's important, everyone, as well, to distinguish what do we mean by becoming like Jesus. I totally agree. And, and there, you know, even Paul uses language that's almost even further in that direction when he says, uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, mm-hmm. I, you know, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith, uh, by, and, son by faith and the son of God. It is no longer I who live, but mm-hmm. Christ lives in me. There's a, there's a chapter in a book called you're only human that I'm re I'm rereading it right now where he, uh, he starts the chapter. It's a, it's a chapter on that passage and on this idea. Mm-hmm. And he starts the chapter talking about his work with college students and how he'll often ask them when they come into counseling, um, do you believe that, uh, do you believe that God likes you? <laughs> uh, and they'll be like, well, I know he loves me, but, and then they yeah. kind of like pause and they don't know quite how to answer mm-hmm. because it's, we, we don't often, you know, when, when we think about God's love for us, we often emphasize his sense of duty or honor in loving us. Like he, he, he loves us because he has to, because Jesus like strong armed him into it by <laughs> sacrificing himself, which is of course, totally not true. Exactly. exactly. And yet we, we find it hard to believe that God delights in us yeah. um, just for, for, for us. Yeah. And that, that's why I love yeah. that passage. in I think it's Zephaniah three seventeen. He uh, delights over us. He dances over us. Yeah. When I'm praying with people sometimes who have a really low self-image, uh, I love to to quote that verse, mm-hmm. pray that verse over them, and just and ask them to you know, imagine the 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 beaming smile God has on His face as He looks at you. Yeah. And some people they can't imagine that. No, no, you know I'm I'm dirty or I'm broken or I'm um uh, I'm less than. Mm-hmm. And, and what a what a revolution happens in a person's life when they're really able to grasp how crazy God is about us. Mm-hmm. He loves us yes, and likes us, as you yeah. said. And uh, if people can, if people can grasp that, that can, that can literally change everything about the way I live mm-hmm. because the, the ramifications of that, I don't have to earn your love. I don't want to earn God's love. I don't have to pose. I don't have to, you know, try to get back in God's grace. See, I, I never goes out of God's graces. Mm-hmm. His grace doesn't come and go. Um, yeah, and, you know, so much of people's lives uh, with God and with others is trying to earn, to prove the worthiness of, the, of who they are, and or in hiding in shame because you know you're seeing more of who I am. And I know when you see more of who I am, you're going to be disappointed, and mm-hmm. and you're not going to really love me. Yeah, so we spend a lot of energy yeah. with each other and with God, mulling over those kinds of things. So a, a healthy view that that God made you in his image and he loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. And 
and delights. That's a good word. He delights in you. Mm-hmm. That's really a healthy way to look at yourself. Absolutely. And and when we get a clear image of <clears throat> God as he is, uh, that leads us into worship. Mm-hmm. So for me, some of the most powerful, I mean, they're just absolute breakthrough moments for me and my relationship with God have been in the context of worship mm-hmm. in the midst of a <clears throat> realization or a revelation of God's love for me yeah. uh, that Paul talks about in Romans five, when it's, he says the, the Holy spirit pours God's love into our hearts. Yes. I've had those moments. I, I, yes. You know, and uh, it's like, how could I not live my whole life as a response yeah. and in honor of this love? <laughs> but I, amen. <laughs> I want to address, you know, as we're talking about worshiping as a whole person, a reality that I've felt and I think many people feel, which is um, this tension between, well, so what do I do if worship feels dry? Mm. What do I do if I don't feel like worshiping? Mm. Should I wait until I feel like worshiping to worship? Sure. So, so in that sense, should I let, <laughs> should I let my emotions drive my worship mm. or should I just go through the motions because that's what it can feel like on the other end is I'm just being dishonest because my, you know, in that sense, my, my heart is quote unquote far from God. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like I'm supposed to be worshiping. Yeah. So should I, should I let, should I, should I let my emotions lead or should I go through the motions or is there some other way of thinking about it? Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people do exactly what you're describing. Uh, they don't engage in worship because they don't feel like it mm-hmm. or, or I don't engage in worship because I don't feel worthy or, or whatever. This is, and that's why I've always loved, I think it's Psalm 34, one where David says, I will exalt the Lord. Mm. I will worship the Lord. And I, I've, I really emphasize that I will kind of language, not I want to, not I feel like, uh, not I love you, Lord, which those are all wonderful and beautiful. And they are a part of my response to God. Mm. But what happens when I don't feel, when I don't want to? Right. And um, so I, I have gone back to, to that passage again and again over, throughout my life. And I've literally said to the Lord in prayer, I don't feel like worshiping right now. I don't even really feel like talking to you. But I, I you know, love is a decision and I love you. And so, you know, give me desire for you right now or you know, Lord, I just want to, I've said many times before, uh, one of my favorite ways to prime the pump is to think, begin thanking God because I can thank God whether I feel like it or not. Right. There's a billion things to thank God for. And so I start small, you know, thank you for my wife. Thank you for my, the, the breath I breathe. Thank you for, you know, that I, I have a job, you know, and then I can move on to, because once I start thanking God mm-hmm. for the things that are obvious and immediate around me. Yeah that Thanksgiving primes the pump and I begin to see things and, and appreciate things about God and what he's doing for me. And all of a sudden I accidentally have slipped into worship because I started with Thanksgiving. And, you know, I think, you know, the whole Psalm we quoted this past week, Psalm 100 verse four, enter his gates with Thanksgiving. He commands us to, Yeah. could, could one of those reasons be amongst many others be, that God is not only worthy to be thanked, but that helps your own mindset as a worshiper mm. to get yeah. in sync with, man, look at all that God's done. And now next thing I know, our response is coming because I've primed the pump with Thanksgiving. Mm. So, um, so yes, <clears throat> I, I do not think that it is disingenuous to say the, to the Lord, I love you when I don't feel love. I think it's perfect, um, perfectly in line with 
what we believe about what the nature of love is. Yeah. Love is not a feeling. It's a mm-hmm. decision. It's, it's something I do. So, <clears throat> you know, I love my wife, even someone I don't feel that love. Right. And I love my, ch- my children, even when I'm not happy with they just, what they just did, you know? And so if we only live out of our feelings, I'm going to talk about this this next week when we talk about what does it mean to relate with other-centered love. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm still formulating the language of what I want to use for the first stage of love, but it's going to be something like feel-good love or uh, emotional love or feeling-oriented love. One of the, I'm going to use mm-hmm. one of those phrases to describe uh, when I'm just beginning in love, the, the, the earliest stages of love. It's, and there's nothing wrong with feeling love or emotional love. It's just, if that's all you have, that's an, that's an immature love and it needs to mature, needs to grow. Um, so back to, you know, your question. No, I don't think I'm being disingenuous when I say, I love you. When I say, I worship you. When I Mm -hmm. say, I thank you, even though I don't feel that. Right. Um, and I think that becomes clear when you, when you consider that analogy, I I had the same thing in my mind with, with your, with your spouse or mm -hmm. with a, with a, a good friend of yours. It's like you, you don't respond to them only when you feel like it. Right. You respond to them because you love them. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, that, that's why we make marriage vows to one another is because mm-hmm. we need to vow to a certain sense of responsibility and yeah. responsiveness to the person in the absence of mm-hmm. the continuous feeling that would, that would drive that behavior. Yeah. And so I, I, I agree. And also when we, you know, earlier you said there's not this, you know, stark separation between heart and body where, you know, you can do something with your body and it doesn't affect your heart. I think that that runs both ways. That yeah. As yeah. you do something, you, you, you can, I, I believe, act your way into or, or respond your way into, um, you, you can sort of get your heart going as it, as it were. Uh, yeah, and that, this is one of the reasons that taking postures in prayer is helpful. So, yeah. you know, kneeling in prayer, uh, you know, closing your eyes in prayer, bowing your head in prayer, these sorts of things, they, they can be arbitrary, but they can also be a way of just uh, bowing yourself down, you know, getting on your face before the Lord. Um, yeah, I mean, the Greek word proskuneo, which we mm-hmm. usually translate as worship, literally means to kneel or to prostrate. Uh, it, it can refer to both kneeling and laying and p- falling face down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's very much a physical act of bowing before the Lord, prostrating yourself before him as an act of worship. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to think about modern church expressions of worship, which are varied. You know, there's lots right. of different church expressions right? and some emphasize, uh, some emphasize the heart and sort of the, the spirit of the response, whereas others emphasize the, um, the, the bodily response. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like I mentioned earlier, I, I've had a lot of fun just experimenting along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I think I think sometimes in in my life and in, in the evangelical church, we can get a little bit too <laughs> focused on simply a, an emotional response. Yeah. So it may be healthy for for folks to try out, um, <clears throat> you know, more ordered, more more physical, more bodily responses, like you know, raising your hands, clapping. Well, and we actually are commanded to do these things in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, true. Yeah, that's true. You know, the, the, the command, clap your Psalm 47, one, clap your hands, all your nations, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. These are commands. Mm-hmm. Um, sing a new song to the Lord. That's a command. Uh, come before the Lord with thanksgiving, bow before him, kneel before the Lord, Psalm 95, you know. 
These are these are actually commands that are commanding us to physically engage in this act. Um, another thing that that a lot of people don't realize is that biblical prayer uh, is probably more often eyes open, head raised mm-hmm. than it is our classic every uh, every eye closed, every knee, every head bowed. You know, <laughs> yeah. we close our eyes and bow our heads. Uh, which is an unbiblical way of praying. Now, I like to close my eyes and bow my head because uh, it keeps distractions away. I can get distracted real easily. Yeah, and um, so I'm not I'm not against that. But you know, oftentimes you find people praying in the Bible with their they I, they raise their eyes to heaven and said, or you know they look up language. And so um, prayer was something that you opened your eyes and. and you took in well, one of the things that I have a pet peeve about is when um, people, a worship leader or a pastor or someone will say, <clears throat> okay, I, or, I mean, close your eyes and ignore the people around you and just, just, you know, worship between you and God. That's actually not a real biblical concept that it's just me and Jesus, me mm-hmm. and God. Yeah. The Bible is much more community oriented. And and a, a lot of this language of of that are commands for you to bow or clap. These are communal commands. This is the plural. This is not clay. You as an individual clap your hands before God. It's, no, it's all you people. Right. Clap your hands, and they're in the they're in the plural, both in the Hebrew and the Greek. Worship is is n- far more a communal thing, a community thing, than it is an individual thing. And that's that's America's. Uh, individualism sneaking into our 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 worship styles, right? Um, and and so in, in the New Testament, you see that the church worshiping, you don't see individuals often worshiping. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, and again, I'm not discounting personal worship. <clears throat> I'm just saying that <clears throat> the Bible is much more communal in our in worship. Absolutely, and that's one of the that's that's a part of the <clears throat> impetus behind. Our Sunday gatherings is God is gathering us together. We're responding to Him by gathering, so that we can be um, raising one voice in community, uh, which is which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I, th- I think sometimes we we can think of church so much as an obligation that uh, it's it's hel- it's helpful for me at least to, to remind myself and others that like, hey, no, this is this is like a really cool thing. We we get to not have it be all about <clears throat> me for a second. It can be about being a part of the body, right. uh, worshiping as a community, not just about me raising an individual response. Isn't, isn't it amazing how we can take everything and make it individualistic <laughs> and make it about me? Yeah, uh, It's one of the reasons I love that song, that throwback song we sang this past Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about you, Jesus, yes. uh, which is a, an, another way of saying it's not about me. <laughs> yeah. and I, think, I think part of it is you know, when we put on our, you know, we, we, we read the Bible through Western mm. Sure. There, there's a there's a book that I was assigned to read in college that I did not read called uh, "Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes," mm. and uh, I skimmed parts of it. But it it's this idea that we we bring a lens to Scripture, and so th- you know, because earlier we were talking about how you know God doesn't want to b- dissolve our particularity; He wants us to be integrated. And he wants to become more fully who we are. You know, that's that can be an individualistic idea, but the same thing is true of our communities. Yeah. That God doesn't want us to be um, 
<clears throat> a, a dissolved community where we're just a bunch of individual people loosely no, no, associated. No. He wants us to be one yes. body, a, a family. A unity. He wants to bring us together. So it's yes. you know, the Bible affirms the the dignity and the the importance of the of the individual as well as the necessity of the community. Uh, but because we we read scripture with Western eyes, so to speak, we tend to see the individual and ignore the community. And I would say, while it affirms the individual dignity, it emphasizes the community. Mm-hmm. It emphasizes the, the communal response. Yes. And um, and we emphasize the individual <laughs> and the, the personal. Right. I mean, the, the, again, a favorite phrase in America, you know, personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. This is going to surprise some people, but that's a foreign concept to the Bible. Yeah. The Bible doesn't talk about a personal relationship to God. I know that blows people away. What? You know, search, look for it. You know, it's, it's much more about, uh, the community and you find yourself in community. You find, you worship in community. You, I mean, Acts 16, the, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Barnabas say, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. Mm Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> you know, that's that's the way they thought. You know, if the head of the household believes, then we have so much respect for the head of the household, then yes, we're going to believe. And that just blows America's individualism away. Yeah. Well, no, that can't be right because that that person in that household needs to be aware of their sin and they need to confess and they need to repent. Mm-hmm. They can't get saved unless they own their own sin. Yes, but we just can't grasp that a son or a daughter or a wife looking at the husband who's the head of the household, if he is convinced that Jesus is Lord, then they're convinced. Yeah. That's that's how yeah. that's how powerful that union was and that respect for the tribe or the, the community. And and that shows how far foreign we are that that you know we can't even imagine that a household could come to Christ. Right. Uh, and and it, it wouldn't in America because we are so disintegrated mm-hmm. and separated and individualistic. Yeah. Uh, but there are still cultures today that are that still reflect that kind of of unity and mm-hmm. respect for the head of the household that's so strong that you know a whole tribe will come to Christ because the chief came to Christ. Yeah. And it yeah. just rubs us the wrong way. No way. You know? <laughs> and, and certainly the, the Jewish culture was a more communal, a yes. more family oh, yeah. oriented, a more community oriented culture. And that's one of the reasons that when we talk about ordering our, you know, how, how the, the ancient people were oriented around the tabernacle mm-hmm. or then how they saw the, the temple as being the central Centra, point. Yes. In, in some ways that was because, well, that, that was because that's where God chose to put his name and make his dwelling, but it's also where the people came to gather mm-hmm. to worship. Yeah. And so um, you, one of the things that you said, and I'll read it because I wrote it down. One of the things you said in your sermon was that <clears throat> the temple is where God chose in that era to make his dwelling. Mm-hmm. And that prompted a question to me mm-hmm. that I think is going to continue this conversation nicely. Where does God now choose to make his dwelling? Mm-hmm. If, if it was the temple in that era, obviously the temple's been destroyed. Where where does God now make His dwelling? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of American Christians would say in the heart of each individual Christian, because uh, Paul says, "Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit?" Mm-hmm. Well, that's a plural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not, and we make it an uh, you know a singular. 
so I'm not saying that, that Jesus doesn't dwell in me, but the Bible depicts him dwelling amongst his people, Yes, which is really the picture of the temple and the tabernacle, because the, as we said, the temple and the tabernacle were both in the center of the camp or the center of the, of the city, or the center of the nation. And so it's a consistent idea right. that the church is where God dwells. So you, plural, church are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you plural church are the light of the world. And so God dwells in his church. He dwells amongst his people. He, you know, and so yes, he has always dwelled in all of creation. Um, but he uniquely dwells in his people as the gathered community. And again, as we said earlier, this is one of the powerful arguments for, for corporate worship. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a, um, a preference. It's not something that's nice. It is necessary for us to, to gather together and for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and, And God is pleased to dwell amongst his people. Yes. One of the reasons I think this is important for us, because it, it, this can seem like sort of a technicality at times or like, <clears throat> oh, man, OK, that's good theology. But what does that mean? Here, one thing I've run into a lot in myself and in, and in others that I uh, interact with and disciple is that we feel guilty when it's like our prayer life isn't enough for us. We, we feel guilty when we feel like, man, mm. I, I feel like I want to, I need to talk to someone or I feel like I need to get some counseling from someone, or I feel like I, I need prayer from someone else. We feel like that's because we're not strong enough mm. to do it on our own. Mm. When in reality, God's design is for us to do it. In yes, community. it is. It is <laughs> not for us to, you, you know, and having a prayer closet is great. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And many people are sustained and you can be sustained. You know, if, if I was put into prison and not, didn't have access to other believers, I believe God would sustain me. Mm-hmm. But I also want to reflect Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was in prison, mm-hmm. cut off from believers. He said the physical presence of other believers yes. is a source of indispensable love yeah. and joy to, to the, to the Christian. And so we, 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 I just, I think it's so helpful for us to recognize saying that I need community is not a concession. No, no. It's, it's a, it's the design. It's not, it's not a bug. It's a feature. (laughs) And it's it's part of what I mean when I say no one can become like Christ by themselves. Mm -hmm. Same, it's more in the same vein when we say that. Yeah. God has designed it in such a way that we need each other. Again, this cuts it against the grain of American individualism, which has seeped into the church. And maybe I shouldn't say seeped. It's been embraced by the church. Um, but, you know, I, I, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. Mm-hmm. We need each other. Yeah. And if you try to do life by yourself, if you try to pursue Christ likeness by yourself, you will fall short. There will be, there will be many aspects of. Um, of your Christ likeness that are thin, that are shallow, that are undeveloped. You know, you know, is there a place for me alone with God and the Word? Yes. Is there a place for me alone with God in prayer? Yes. Mm-hmm. But I can't understand, and I can't grasp, and I can't fill out the fullness, which Paul, Paul talks about in Ephesians four, the fullness of Christ by myself. And that's that's actually a really good chapter to to consider. When Paul is talking about the, the we we come to the full maturity of Christ, the fullness of Christ, he's talking to a group of people. It's a yeah. plural. Yep. It's not an individual. Um, and I, I shouldn't say it's it's 
it's not individual. I, I don't want it to sound like you can't, you know, there is no place for individual. I think I'm communicating that clearly. Yeah. I just want to make sure, and you want to make sure that we understand the necessity, not the the value, not the just the availability, but the necessity of the us, mm-hmm. of the we, yes. of the community. If if yeah. we're going to pursue full bodied, full blooded Christ likeness. Exactly. And, and that's you know, when we when we think about that in terms of Christ likeness, we we sort of are maybe a little bit more hesitant, but we we know clearly the same is true when we when we use the metaphor where we think of the metaphor of the body of Christ. Right. Like sure. I'm not the whole body. Right. I am I'm a part of the body mm-hmm. and I need the other parts of the body. Yep. You know, that I can't say to the foot, I don't need you yeah. because the eye needs to move around. Yeah. <laughs> can't Paul uses that word need. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, and that, that's in the context of gifting and in the context of, you know, in some ways, the, the, how can we be mutually edifying and how can we build, build one another up? But I, I think the same can be broadly true. And so it's not saying that I and myself can't become like Christ, but it is saying that there is a, a fullness in the mm. body of Christ. There's a fullness in that expression. Amen. Because we're each unique. We're each gifted differently. Yeah. So when we come together, the sum is greater than the parts. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's awesome. I, I mean, we're invited into that. Amen. Um, <clears throat> yes. And so another question I wanted to ask as we think about the temple, which which I've featured strongly in the sermon, and you were talking about going to Israel and how, how much you love to be in the Holy Land. And, you know, we're, we're quoting this idea that God chose the temple in Jerusalem as, as a place to, to dwell. Right. And elsewhere in Scripture, he says, I'll put my name on there forever mm-hmm. and, you know, I'll, I'll dwell there for all time, all these sorts of uh, promises. And so one question I had was, as you've been to Israel and to the Holy Land, and as you've thought about this idea from a theological and historical perspective, does God still dwell mm. on that land called the Temple Mount? <laughs> you know, where, where now that you talk about now the Dome of the Rock sits there. Yeah. What is what is that like? How can we interpret that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes, but not uniquely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess is how I'd answer that. Uh, yes, because He's omnipresent. Um, he still dwells in Israel, yeah. and uh, and yes, I, I also think, and this is a this is sometimes seen as something that's subjective, but I sense the presence of God in Israel. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it other than the fact the fact that God has said, "I will always dwell there," um, and so I'm sensitive to the presence of God. Uh, I'm I'm a, a person who lives in intimacy with God, and so. I sense his presence when I come into Israel. I sense his presence in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, I sense his presence as we're going up to the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, even though when we go up to the Temple Mount, it is a very, very different place now than it used to be. There, There's soldiers up there. There are... Um, uh, a, a group of people who are hmm. who are Muslim who uh, have control over the Temple Mount, and so I've been in in the Temple on the Temple Mount when we were rushed out. You know, you've been here too long. Keep moving. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And uh, it's like you know, <laughs> I wanted to, wanted to say one time <laughs> to to a group, and I didn't. But you know, Jesus said that this is supposed to be a house for all nations. <laughs> Would have been unwise for me to say that, but even yeah. though it's true. Um, but you know, there's not, there's nobody 
singing on the Temple Mount. There's nobody, mm -hmm. we're not allowed to pray. Your Christians are not allowed to read the Bible or to pray on the, uh, you know, publicly on the, on the uh, Temple Mount. Um, so it's like, wow, that, you know, with, without being able to sing, without being able to pray, certainly mm -hmm. not being able to preach, yeah. you know, then why, how can you sense the presence of God? I don't know, but I sense the presence of God there. Yeah. And um, that is God's unique uh, choice. I've chosen to dwell there. I've chosen to put my name there, as we've said. Uh, he makes it really clear in Deuteronomy, you know, I, I did not choose you because you are greater than any other nation or because you are uh, a, a more special. I've chose you because I chose you. You're mm -hmm. my people. Yeah. And I chose to dwell in Jerusalem. I chose to dwell in the temple because I chose to do that. And um, so, uh, I, I, yes, I sense God's presence in Israel like no other place. Um, but... You know, I have, uh, I, when I was in um, uh, college, <laughs> I was, uh, uh, I took a night job, even though I was a full-time basketball, basketball team and a mm -hmm. full-time student, I took a night job uh, to earn money to buy a, an engagement ring for my girlfriend, who's, who's <laughs> now my wife. And one of the jobs I took was to be a night watchman at um, a Hingham Yacht Club, which is basically a, a, a bay in the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. And uh, there's all these boats and sailboats and yachts and uh, in this yacht club. And I would, my job was every hour to go out and just kind of cruise around the harbor just to make sure nobody was vandalizing boats and everything, everything was okay. And sometimes I would push out a little bit further or motor out a little bit further into the, the Atlantic and just sit out there, you know, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And I, I can't describe why I sense the presence of God out there so much more, you know, geographically, but mm -hmm. there was something about being on the water at three o'clock in the morning that it just without fail, I would go out there and it would be, I could just sense God's presence. And I, I talked to God about this. Why is this? You know, mm -hmm. I, geographically I'm, you know, I'm a hundred feet from where I was, but there's, I don't know. There's just something about, I sensed God's presence near Mm -hmm. um, you're setting out into the deep. Yeah, you know, oh, so. <laughs> well, well done. Well done. We should, we should do a sermon on that sometime. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> or maybe a whole series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, that's, can I prove anything about that? No, mm. but it was real to me. Yeah. It was absolutely real. And there's a similar sense of the presence of God when I go to Israel. It's, again, a highly subjective thing, but because I know in the Bible God says I will dwell, mm -hmm. you know, then um, you know, it's easy for me to sense that and, and acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say you have to go to Israel to sense the presence of God. Uh, no, you can, God's omnipresent. You, you can sense him anywhere. It's more your posture of your heart yeah, yeah. <laughs> than it is whether or not God's here and among us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, and since I was recently studying the exile and the, the rebuilding of the temple for um, a, a sermon I preached recently, just thinking about how after the Temple of Solomon was destroyed, mm -hmm. but then it, when the temple was rebuilt, you had some people who were cheering and praising the younger generation and you had the older generation who's yeah. weeping because yeah, it's they, not like it used to be it's not like it used to be there's no you know, there's no pillar of of smoke fire. that uh, or there's there's no fire that represents god's presence yeah. yeah and and i don't so i don't know you know the bible doesn't make it 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 it, it doesn't say 
God's presence did not return to the temple. Um, but it, it may, I don't know. It, it's maybe slightly implied. Um, but there are a, place, a couple of places in the old Testament where it says the glory of the Lord departed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. It rem- rem- reminds me of that terrible name that uh, a mother gave or a father and a mother gave to us, to a son, Ichabod. Yeah. Which being translated means the glory has departed. Yeah. Which was their way of reflecting what was going on in Israel at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they were referring specifically to the pillar of the fire and the, the cloud or, or just a sense of God's glory departing. But, yeah. you know, that was a pretty significant thing in those days to, to from a distance, be able to see the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, you yep. know, that's God, that's where he's dwelling. Mm-hmm. And it would easy, be, be easy to see how people would begin to associate that. If, if that pillar is not there, God's not there. Because we we know that's not true, and even the Old Testament unrecognizes the omnipresence of God. Right. Psalm one thirty nine is a perfect example. Where can I go from your presence? You know, nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's just an interesting thing to think about for me. In that, um, uh, there's all of these wonderful promises in the Old Testament, and then there's all this tragedy, and there's all these cliffhangers, and there's all these anticlimactic moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, even reading in Nehemiah, you know, about how things are seem to be going well. And then there's these moments where Nehemiah's pulling his hair out and he's, yeah. you know, running around and trying to, you know, get people to, you know, get people into shape and get people into, into worship or get people to start behaving as though they're God's people. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he can't seem to get it to <laughs> get it to go. And then, uh, you know, we, we see in the New Testament, Jesus comes and it's like this breath of fresh air. And it's, it's like, oh man, maybe, uh, things are, things are finally going to change. Um, and of course that's what we're, we still look forward to the day when we won't struggle with sin and we won't struggle with the the duality of our hearts and we'll be totally have Mm. a heart of worship Mm. full response. We'll be totally changed. Um, and that's, that's ultimately the journey that we're on, um, so it's just, you know, these, these Old Testament themes, again, they can seem dry and more historical in, in nature, and yet they teach us, I believe, some really important things about yeah. what it looks like to, to strive after God and to follow God. Because if, if we try to whitewash the history of God's people and not engage with the difficult moments and the tragedies, then when we have difficult moments and tragedies, mm-hmm. it's totally disorienting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even I was telling a friend uh, recently, the name Israel means one who wrestles with God. Mm-hmm. I was like, so, so if you're wrestling with God, you're, 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 you're in. You know? it's, it's one who wrestles with God and, uh, prevails. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, anyhow, um, th- there's, there's one other question that I, I want to ask, uh, before we kind of close up our time, but before I do. I wanted to take a pause because last week we didn't do a drawing for the mm-hmm. What's Your Next Step sweatshirt, but this week we are going to do a drawing. All right. <laughs> so here I've uh, hidden 
hidden the names in this mug right here. <laughs> and so I'm going to just real quickly, for those of you who, who uh, you know, you're just maybe engaging for the first time here. Uh, what we're doing is we've, we've got some uh, what's your next step sweatshirts that we're giving away as a part of this series. And uh, the last couple weeks, there's been a text word, which has been John that you could text into our church phone number. This week, I'll give you a, a new text word. But first, I will draw. Uh, Jim, do you want to draw the sure. name? Sure, not that one. No, not that one. I'll take this one. <laughs> I don't have my glasses. It's so small. <laughs> Mason Stewart. All right, Mason. <laughs> Mason, you are now the proud owner of one of these. What's your next sweatshirt? What's, What's your, your next, next step? step? Sweatshirts. <laughs> so you can, uh, I'll, I'll reach out to you, Mason, and see if you want the white one or the gray one, but uh, they are yours by birthright now. So. <laughs> We will be reaching out to you shortly. Chosen by lot, a real biblical way of choosing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, man. That's, we need a whole other podcast for that. As a guy who, oh, man, there, there's, this, there's this proverb that talks about how uh, um, you know, a man throws the dice into his lap, but it's the Lord who determines the outcome. I'm like, okay, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, Try interpreting that apart from America's uh, love of gambling. Yeah. <laughs> Another podcast, right? So, uh, I, 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 if you if your name wasn't pulled, because there's there's plenty of names in here. Don't worry, you will uh, stay in the running, and uh, there's an opportunity to get more of your names in the running if you respond to this next text word. And so, if you want to be in the pool for a, a drawing next week during the cutting room floor, you can go ahead and text the word Temple T E M P L E to our church phone number four four zero. Three two three four six four four, and uh, your name will get entered to win. And uh, next, next step sweatshirt. Yeah, and the, the new car. Is this the week we're giving away the new car? No, that's the final week. Oh, okay. Actually, all right. A... When are we giving away the free trip to Israel? That's when you drink coffee. That's, uh, <laughs> actually, well, I, hey, if you want to, that's up to you. I'll leave that up to you, Jim. If you want to, I would love to give everybody a free trip to Israel. I know you would, <laughs> except. So we we do a we do a drawing every year. Have you talked about the drawing for the for the staff? And no. oh, you haven't talked about that. No. All right, then then that will remain a secret. <laughs> that will be on the the cutting room floor from the cutting room floor. Do you have you received any questions from from our our listeners, our watchers? I have received some actually. Oh man, uh, there was one. Uh, uh, one man approached me during Pictoberfest and was asking me questions. I said, "Oh, that's a good question. You should you should." Uh, email email it, it to me. I don't know if he. Uh, I don't know if he did though. Oh. I ha I haven't seen it come through. Okay. I'm I, I'm trying to remember if I can. We we he just mentioned it really briefly in person because I was like, oh, just you know, send it to me and then we'll, <laughs> I'll bring it up. But I I have received a few, but not very many. So if you if you're listening and you're like, oh man, I really hope that they're going to get to this idea or they ask this question. Um, you know, we, we want this to be a time where we're engaging with you guys and having a conversation with, with you all mm -hmm. as listeners and as people who are digging into the scriptures with us. And so as you're studying the passages that we're preaching through, or as you're thinking about the ideas, or the, the topics or the themes that get brought up in the sermon, if you have questions about, uh, about those things or about our church or about, you know, how it is that we interpret certain things, uh, go ahead and send those in. You know, we, we would love nothing more than to, you know, not address any of the questions that you know, I have or that, that Jim have uh, as, as leftovers from the sermon, but just to be able to engage with you and to, to continue that conversation that way. 
thanks for asking that. Um, yeah. Because this, you know, ultimately, we we hope that this is a benefit to you to you all uh, as we're asking questions and as we're continuing that conversation. Because we we believe that as we have conversations about the scriptures, as we have conversations about God and about what He's doing in our lives, that that makes a difference. Amen. So hopefully, this is you know prompting conversations between you and your friends or you and your family. Uh, or, or causing you to think more deeply about the scriptures, but that's you know, that that's our goal. And so, if sending in a question would help you to engage, please do that. We mm-hmm. would love that mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so now maybe we'll get back to our final question. Uh, it's it goes like this: What does it mean that we don't initiate when we talk about worship? Mm. Uh, Okay. And, or in other words, what does it mean that worship is always a response? Right. Something you talked about towards the beginning of your sermon, but, but can you just unpack that a little bit more? Sure. Um, it's, this is when, when we talk about that God is the, the initiator of everything. I actually talk about this in, in my book, Learn to Breathe, mm. uh, in the first or couple second chapters. I can't remember which one, but it's just a recognition that God is always first. I mean, God existed before we did. That's an obvious yeah. Um, and so it, it, uh, in creating the world that we live in and creating us, he's already made the first move, uh, creation in, That's right. uh, sending Jesus, he's already made the first move, uh, and, and flooding us with grace, all the blessings, all the benefits. You, you could just make a massive list of all the things that God's done, uh, to initiate, uh, communication with us, to reach out to us, to, to show love to us. And so it's a it's a theological understanding that whenever we respond to God or whenever we speak to God, that it is a response to Him. And I think it's just a healthy way to think about it because sometimes people get at the idea that they have to do something to get God's attention, or they have to to uh, do something to get back in God's grace. As mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier, yeah. and I, I I just want people to remember everything that you do is a response to what God has already done. Yeah. Um, you know, Paul says no one seeks God, meaning that no one seeks God apart from God giving you the grace to do that. It wasn't your idea because your idea is self-centered. Your idea is self-preservation. Your idea is what's good for me. So if there's anything that causes you to reach out to God, it's because God has given you grace because God yeah. has reached out to mm-hmm. you and you're responding to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also helpful to re- re- remind ourselves because we say oftentimes at open door that God is always working. And so if we, when yeah. you have that mindset, when you believe that, then it begin, you begin to look for ways that God is, is working in your life. You begin to anticipate and this creates this sense of expectation and anticipation, which is a really cool way to come into the temple as we talked, or, you know, to come to worship a sense of anticipation, a sense of expectation, hmm. believing, knowing that, that God has already moved. He's already acted. And he's already given, and now I'm giving back. And, and I think that's another good thing to talk about with when it comes to our tithing. Mm, yeah. uh, a tithing is not a, a command I have to obey as much as it is a way for me to respond to all that God's giving me. And reality, I, I'm only giving a tenth, which is what tithe means. I'm only giving a tenth, but it's a representative amount to say thank you for all your blessings, to say thank you for your grace, to say thank you for your provisions, mm. to say thank you for the job I have, the uh, all that I, I have. I recognize that as a as a g- gift from you that you've entrusted to me, and I want to re- respond back in this act of worship, of giving, 
um, to say thank you and to recognize that you're the giver and I'm the receiver. And so this is my way of giving back. When you, when you think about worship as response, it begins to affect everything. You know, you're singing, you're praying, you're reading, you're giving. Everything gets affected by that kind of perspective um, versus you know, I have to elbow my way in, I have to get God's attention. You yeah. remember that story in First uh, Kings where Elijah and the prophets of Baal are doing their thing and they're cutting themselves and trying to get the attention of their God. Yep. And, you know, Elijah's just making fun of them. You're like, he knows you don't have to do anything to get atten- attention of our God. He's already attentive. You know, mm-hmm. he hears you. He sees you. Um, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite pictures of God is, or names of God is a God who sees us, mm-hmm. you know, God's, God's watching, not like to see me, see if I'm doing something wrong, but he, he sees me in my loneliness. He sees me in my hurt. He sees me in my celebration. He sees me in my confusion. God sees me. So when I speak to him, I'm responding to the God who sees yes. and loves and, and, and cares for me. Yeah. I think it's just, it's an orientation that just changes everything when we recognize God went first in creation, in salvation, in, in grace, in blessing, he, he always has gone first. And, mm. and, I will, and nothing I ever do will, will cause God to go, oh, I just noticed Jim. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> or, oh, I should you know, pay more attention to Jim. Mm. No, he, his love, we're going to talk about this again later on, his love is everlasting, and his love is attentive. And uh, his love is other-centered and uh, other-oriented. He's always reaching out in love and doing, and he does that for each one of us. So all of my love is a response to that. Amen. And and this is another one of those situations where I believe what we think about God makes Mm. such a big difference. Absolutely. we're back to that quote from Tozer. Yes, and, and and what we what we recognize with the God who's revealed in the Scriptures and the God who's revealed in Jesus is that God is this other centered God, mm-hmm. but He's also this radically, you know, He's also radically oriented toward His own glory, and mm-hmm. so. Uh, sometimes people because say, he's God exactly because he's God and it's right, right for him to do so yeah. and so people say that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever that's also the chief end of God is to glorify God mm-hmm. and enjoy him himself forever and in, for, in a sense and well and for some people that sounds selfish right because it, you you said that self-centered love is sin so if God is self-centered then isn't he sin no, because God is the definition of God is that you know, God is is above all, beyond all. Right. He he glorifies himself be, be, because he's God, and so you know, I'm not God. So when I focus on myself, it's that is sin. That's right. You know, taking away from God or taking away from others. So it, the orientation changes everything. We so often look at God from our from our self centered viewpoint. And we we have such a, such a gap between yes. what we know about God and what we know about ourselves that we find it hard to grasp who God is, mm-hmm. that, that he's the one and only, that there exactly. is no one, as Isaiah said, there is no one like him. Right. And um, that 
complete, unique. Uh, he has everything he needs. He is self-sufficient. It's just hard for us to grasp how massive, how big, how God he, he like he is. <laughs> right, but, right. But when we get a window into that, when we get a picture of that, that will probably worship mm-hmm. and that will properly orientate us. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. have in each one of us. And not only that, but many people have recognized that when we think about specifically the Christian God, we're, we're not talking about a God who is a singularity. We're right. talking about a God right. who is a trinity. Mm-hmm. And so for him to be um, self-focused in that sense, he's still able to have, you know, there are multiple persons within him, mm-hmm. you know, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so for eternity past, God is you know, enjoying himself. But what that means, he's also enjoying the other persons of the Trinity. And mm-hmm. so he's existed in this kind of community. And so when he, you know, when that love wells up and spills out into creation, it's it's a very natural thing for God to do because God has been one anothering for all of eternity. Mm-hmm. And so for him to love his creation and for him to love human beings in this other centered way, it's not a, it's not a like a new, unique, strange right, thing for right. God. It's a part of His nature right. to be get self-giving, to be one anothering, and that to me is one of the things that makes the Christian way of understanding the world. Uh, not only not only do I believe that it's true, but I want it to be true mm-hmm. because I want God to be the kind of God who's initiating, who's reaching out. And that's the kind of God that we serve. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's awesome. And and here's this is why it's so important that revelation um, um, is essential to our understanding of God. Yes, we don't claw our way up, and we don't think our way through, and we don't rationalize. Okay, this is who God is. No, God reveals Himself, and even that again is. You know, he's, he goes first mm-hmm. and he has revealed himself as Trinity. So while there's a singularity to God, um, whether, whether it's not a singularity to God, there's a Trinity. He's also monotheistic. We're monotheistic people. Exactly. So we, we, we worship and serve one God because he has revealed himself as one God in three persons. And without the scriptures, without the revelation of who God is, we're not going to come up with a Trinitarian God. Right. And therefore we're not going to grasp Trinitarian love. And therefore, we're not going to grasp what it, what the what pure love is, because mm-hmm. in the Loving People One Hundred One uh, seminar that I I wrote, I, I talk about how love comes out of the Trinity. We we want to practice Trinitarian love because that's the kind of love that that we need that we that nourishes us. And if I love you or love other friends or love my wife or love my children. Out of my own resources, it's not going to be Trinitarian love. It's mm-hmm. not going to be Godlike love. And it, not only is it not going to be enough, I'm already starting to talk about next week. <laughs> not only is it not going to be enough, but it actually will be damaging. Yeah. And, and some, people, some people might question that. How could it be damaging? Because I'm not loving you with the love of God, and you were made to be loved with the love of God. Yeah. It's like putting um, low octane gas in a, in a, in a gasoline engine. Mm-hmm. Um, it can run, but it's going to ruin the engine and sputter and damage and eventually destroy it because that engine was made to run on a certain octane. So human beings yeah. were yeah. made to, to be filled with God's love. Mm-hmm. And so, 
every time we're only loved with by human love, there's damage that's going on, which is why we need to be healed, right. which can only happen with yeah. God's love. Right. <laughs> and of course, what we're talking about here is the grace of God in, in making us, in calling us, in saving us, and the love of God that is worth responding to. Yeah. You know, it's... And, and that's, the, that's really the heart and soul of what worship is. Mm-hmm. Worship is, a, is a, I define it as a loving response. Yes. Uh, you take out love out of worship and all you have is people going through the motions. All you have is rituals. All you have is traditionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, love is the, you know, the core of what worship is all about. And so I am loving God and I'm basking in that love and I'm reveling in that love of who he is and he, his love for me. And, and that, that dance is this, that that is what worship is all about is reflected in the original dance of, of the Trinity. Yes. We talk about perichoresis, which is the, 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 (laughs) the the dance in the Trinity of Mm -hmm. father loving the son, son loving the father. And we get little pictures of Jesus talking about how, you know, the father loves the son, the son loves the father. He's like, what's, what's going on there? That's that perichoretic dance. Mm -hmm. And so the, the more that we reflect Trinitarian love, yeah, the the more we're engaging in real worship that's in spirit and in truth and the more worship actually feeds us which is an extraordinary thing yeah i get helped i get fed i get nourished i get built up by expressing love to another being mm. yes. yes you were made to worship that's right and so when you worship it helps you flourish it helps you be you were you were made to be it's it's in a way it's one of the ways that God um, develops us, strengthens us. Absolutely. Causes us to flourish by us worshiping him. Uh, but this is the beauty. One of the, the beautiful things that comes with worship. Amen. Uh, Amen. So, yeah, that's why I, I, I love the, the, you know, the temple illustration of getting closer and closer and closer to him mm-hmm. because that's where that love flows. And that's, that's what heaven's going to be is mm-hmm. there's no more distractions. There's no more obstacles. It's face to face and the, the intimacy, the, the beauty, the, mm. the fulfillment of being with God and God being with us without yeah. any distraction or hindrances is going to be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, worship will not be about the things that are there. It really even won't be about the people that are there. Sometimes people get so focused on, well, I'll see you in heaven or I'll see my dad or my grandfather. My dad is in heaven right now, but when I die, I will not be thinking about seeing my dad in heaven. I will, you know, if my wife dies before me, I will not be thinking about seeing my wife. I will be so consumed with who God is Mm -hmm. that my wife and my and my uh, father we will be joined arms joined together focused on jesus mm-hmm. focused on the father yeah reveling in that love and i nothing everything else falls away <laughs> every other person falls away every other thing falls away it's being absolutely consumed by and enraptured by the nature and the beauty of god without yeah. hindrance yeah. that's heaven and of course we we get glimpses of that in the book mm. of revelation mm. yes in revelation glimpses. chapter five that's it's uh... <laughs> a good word glimpses Man, I, 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 uh, at the second service in Lorraine, I read out of Revelation five during our closing after mm. we took, you know, after we received the elements and it's this, um, this image of both things on the one hand, the worthiness of Christ yes. because he's the lamb who was slain. 
and how he's able to break the seal and open the scroll, <laughs> but also how there's this unmitigated intimacy. And yeah. so then they, the, the elders, they fall down on their face and mm-hmm. they worshiped him. Yeah. And uh, may, may we be a church who sees the lamb who was slain, yeah. recognizes his worthy and who responds to him Amen. by falling on our faith and, and, and worshiping God. And I, I, I pray that our church is a more, um, has more of a heart of worship, <laughs> you know, because we we're in, in a lot of ways we're a church who's known for being a church that sings and loves to sing and, and worship. But there's there's so much more mm-hmm. uh, that we have yet to experience within within that. Yes. Um, yeah. That's and that's why we need teaching from the Word of God on worship, and yeah. and we need to hear scriptures like. Hebrews ten nineteen, you know, mm-hmm. let us draw near, let us enter with confidence in the most holy place. Oh, Amen. What, Amen. What, what writing? <laughs> Just, whew, man. So we'll, we'll leave you with the words of uh, Hebrews 10 kind of ringing in your ears. And uh, thanks once again for joining us for this episode of The Cutting Room Floor. We're going to wrap up here. But uh, if you're listening to us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, let me encourage you to go ahead and subscribe or uh, rate this episode. Give us a, give us a five-star rating if you're enjoying what's going on. Uh, or if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. Click the bell so that you can get notifications that we're uh, posting new episodes. And you can go ahead and make a comment or share this episode with a friend. Uh, these are all just ways that uh, we know that you guys are enjoying and engaging with this and that it's helpful to you. So that's that's good feedback for us. And we, we'd love to hear how God is uh, working working in your heart and using this as well. But until next time, mm-hmm. we will sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.